Well, good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for your practice today. Because it's the conditions for us to be here. (laughs) And um, tonight, I am going to talk about the second... um, the second characteristic of life, and that is impermanence. Impermanence. So there's three characteristics of reality that are absolutely true, but they're very hard to see, and our deluded mind keeps us from seeing them, and that really is the source of a huge amount of suffering for us. And uh, we heard a brilliant talk about that last night from Kate on dukkha or unsatisfactoriness, just the um, inherent um, inability of any conditioned thing, you know, anything that has the nature to arise and pass away, it could never bring us ultimate happiness. It might be great for a day or a week or even a year, but it's going to change. And that's what I'm going to talk about, (laughs) how that changing happens or the importance of seeing that change and not seeing that change conceptually. Because I think, you know, we could all do reflections on our lives and say, wow, you know, my life is totally different than it was five years ago, 10 years ago one year ago, but um, that's us understanding it intellectually, but with our practice, what we do is our mindfulness is the data collection instrument (laughs) for intuitive awareness, for us to have a really big insight about that, to see that directly from intuitive awareness which is really what frees us. That's what really uh, reduces our dukkha and helps us build equanimity towards all things. So that's what I'm going to talk about. So recognition of the fact that anicca, which is impermanence, characterizes everything is one of the first steps in the Buddha's spiritual progress towards awakening. And, you know, that's an interesting question. Are we sitting here saying, I really want to get awakened? And, you know, I've had uh, yogis come in to see me on the first, you know, interview of a retreat and say, oh, yeah, I'm getting awakened. I'm going to do it. (laughs) And it's so interesting because it's absolutely possible for all of us to Uh, get awakened, but um, when, you know, you have to be and have the understanding that there is no one getting awakened. (laughs) You know, awakening is an anatta or um, an experience of non-self. And that's who gets awakened, the non-self, right? But... um, Actually, so that's what I'm going to talk about here, the perceptions of impermanence and how we work on that, how we work on those three marks uh, of existence or characteristics of existence. Um, So how do we, and, you know, let me tell you that 
supposedly, once you get a good insight, supposedly, no, this is true. This is my experience. Once you get a good insight into impermanence, not cognitively or intellectually, you know, through intuitive awareness or insight, wisdom, it actually is the first, uh, it leads you to the first gate opening of the four stages of awakening. It leads you to stream entry. And I think, I don't think it's um, unwholesome to want to become awakened because the more awakened become, the less your egoic clinging is there. And the more that you realize just how absolutely interconnected we all are. And so social justice and communitarianism is really one of the byproducts of that. Just understanding you know, how we are all connected and my happiness can never be separate from your happiness. You know, that's just how it is. So Anicca, impermanence is the second, or actually the first in some instances, uh, uh, true characteristic of reality. And one way to see it is through the human body. Because we know the human body is subject to change, Uh, it's empirically observable in the universal uh, states of, you know, you can see it in childhood, youth, maturity, and old age. And uh, mental events come into being and dissolve, you know, they, all, uh, they do that as well. So that is uh, impermanence of um, rupa or... Uh, the physical characteristics, physical impermanence, and mental impermanence. That's one way that we work with it in our practice. And guess what one of the best ways to realize that? Doing four elements meditation. <laughs> I was so happy to see that that's actually in the suttas, that the Buddha said, if you want to see the impermanence of form of the body... Uh, you know, one excellent way is to do reflections on the four elements in the body. Because we know the four elements are changing all the time, right? So um, the perception of impermanence or the insight into impermanence is a universal Buddhist meditation that's both for monastics. And, you know, monastics are the ones that really kept the tradition for 2,000 years for us, right? And also for lay people. It's really an important practice for lay people as well. Right now we're practicing in monastic style, but we'll definitely go back to our lives. And supposedly having a very big insight into impermanence leads to stream entry, which is the first stage of awakening. So in one sutta, the uh, Anicca Siha Sutta, uh, the Buddha talks about using the five aggregates as the subject of impermanence. And, um, and he actually talks very specifically about how to, do, to observe it and do reflections on it to have a big insight about impermanence. So the five aggregates are form, the physical body, feeling, which as we know is... Uh, form is the first... Foundation of mindfulness, right? It's um, mindfulness of the body, which we're doing. Uh, feeling, and feeling is uh, just, you know, every single uh, 
contact we have as a human will have uh, a feeling tone or Vedana in it. And that is it'll either be pleasant, it'll be unpleasant, or it'll be neutral, one of those three. And for me, that's been a huge place to really look at impermanence, uh, feeling tone. The third aggregate is perception. And perception, you know, the Buddha wrote this stuff 2,600 years ago. He essentially wrote about um, unconscious bias. It was amazing how he wrote about that, about the vipalasas, about uh, distortions of perception, thinking, and view, or views of the world. And boy, we all see that right now, right? <laughs> Am I the only one seeing that? <laughs> that that's still much, very much alive and well, and it's being called unconscious bias right now, but yeah, we all have that. So that's perception, you know, looking at someone and, you know, ascribing certain characteristics to them dependent on, you know, social conditionings, you know, on race or gender or uh, age or sexual orientation, things like that. And ascribing certain ideas to them and not even realizing that, that is distortion of perception. And then mental formations, uh, just watching how impermanent our thoughts are and our opinions about things are very impermanent. And then consciousness, you know, our ability to perceive things is also very impermanent, changing, and it becomes otherwise. So um, in, our, in our pursuit of freedom, of freedom from you know, this craziness of life of these three characteristics. Um, one thing that we're doing, and, you know, I've talked about this. This is one of my favorite things is that we are doing self-directed neuroplasticity retraining, right? We are, and essentially that just means, according to the Buddhist psychology, there's only 52 things that could be in our mind at any time. And we really need to pay attention to what those are because the positive things will lead us to awakening, to happiness, to equanimity, to well-being. And uh, the um, you know, unwholesome ones will cause suffering for others and ourselves. And it's so interesting now that in 2022, actually late 2021, Western psychological science is saying that exact same thing that mindfulness, this practice actually brings more well-being than any other mental health or public health or social work or whatever intervention. I love that. <laughs> and it's 2,600 years old. And it's an epistemology of the global south, right? That has been, many of us have probably experienced it as kind of commodified within our Western medical industrial complex. But we love them too, we do, but... So one of the things, so those are the five aggregates and we want to investigate the impermanence of those things. And again, we don't want to think about it. We just want to use our mindfulness to collect the data to see that directly. And you can see that directly doing anything if that's what you're looking at. Um, and one other thing that they say about um, progress on the path, and I love this part, uh, you know, this is uh, this is an eightfold path. It's not just about having insight through meditation. In fact, 
They say that you can't have insight through meditation unless your sila or your ethical qualities are good. And, um, you know, that is so important. That goes along with doing this mental cultivation is, you know, making sure that we are not harming ourselves or harming others. And in this Buddhist psychology, this incredible Abhidhamma, that's 2,600 years old, the Buddha talked about the seven latent tendencies. This is a pretty big teaching. The seven latent tendencies. And those are just manifestations of all of us as humans are unconscious bias. And we know we have that. I mean, according to Western science, we do. And we can see that very directly during this practice as well. And there are seven latent tendencies, and I just want to list them for you. What they are is essentially manifestations of greed, hatred, and delusion. But for some reason, these were the ones that were very big uh, 2,600 years ago and probably the 1,000 years after that, because these are found in all three of the traditions. And, you know, all of this stuff is totally free. Um, I'll tell you my favorite Buddhist scholar, that all of his stuff is so brilliant and bullet-pointed like a PowerPoint so you can understand it really easy. He's so brilliant. His name is Piatan, and that's where I got a lot of this. So I just want to give him a nod. He's an ex-monastic who lives in Singapore and writes these beautiful you know, essays on the suttas. And he left the monastery and got married, and he has two little kids right now. He's just brilliant. But anyway, so that's Piatan. So he talks about, well, he discusses what the Buddha taught about the seven latent tendencies. And what are the seven latent tendencies? They are sensual lust, aversion, wrong views, and feeling like, you know, the th- not understanding the three characteristic is wrong view, you know feeling like we could get happiness from some conditioned thing, feeling like things are permanent, and feeling like we're an individual solid self. That's a wrong view. Doubt, having doubt in this practice and its ability to help us. Having conceit. I talked about a little bit about conceit in one of our groups. I think there's four types of conceit. There's um, birth conceit. And, you know, we could see there that's still alive and well in the, in the world, right? Where you were born and who you are, you know, you can feel like you have an advanced culture, or an advanced economy, and try to push that on to everybody. Uh, there's birth conceit. There's um, Donna conceit, money conceit. People who have a lot of money have conceit. Um, there's Mana conceit, which is actually conceit of education, uh, I'm sure all of us in here who are professors and advanced degree people, we have certain unconscious biases about how we're better and smarter than other people. And actually, I love it that there's actually, um, there's also um, a conceit of self-loathing. If you don't love yourself, if you hate yourself, that's actually a form of conceit. That was actually the last conceit the Buddha had right before he got awakened. You know, he got afraid because he didn't think he was worthy of becoming awakened. And then uh, the sixth one is lust for existence. And the seventh one is just plain ignorance of the three characteristics. But the Buddha said there are certain ways that we can do our meditation practice 
to um, it actually um, undoes our unconscious bias. It actually uh, weakens the seven latent tendencies. Isn't that wonderful to think about that? That just doing this practice will weaken our unconscious bias towards ourselves and others. I love that idea. So according to the uh, one of the uh, uh, Anicca suttas, and there's many of them, you know, the Buddha did a lot of teaching on impermanence. Um, the, uh, the Buddha said that the latent tendencies, these seven unconscious biases, are destroyed by cultivating insight wisdom into impermanence. Don't you love that? Such insight is the mindful seeing of the changing nature of all that is being experienced. So everything that we are experiencing is changing. And, you know, without some um, samadhi and mindfulness, samasati, which is right mindfulness, you're not going to see that. And again, um, he talks very specifically about the five aggregates as a focus of impermanence. And again, those are form, you know, our physical bodies, feeling, pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. I want to talk about those too because, you know, I was so happy to read this tonight because, you know, what the Buddha said was an excellent way to see the impermanence of form for elements meditation. So this is a direct practice of um, insight into impermanence. I love it. So what we're doing is we're just collecting the data of seeing uh, the elements and not thinking about it. In fact, we want to tell our thinking mind again, I love you, you are so wonderful, but we're going to hang out on Saturday. Your pronouns are she, her, badass, but Saturday. <laughs> so how do, we, um, how do we investigate the earth element? Should I have not said that? <laughs> That's one of my favorite sayings nowadays. So, um, so form, physical form, that's the first aggregate, one of the biggest ag aggregates. And one way for us to watch it and investigate it is through the four elements. <clears throat> and this actually went a little bit deeper into what the Buddha taught about how to experience the earth element, all of the four elements. So starting with the earth element. So um, earth element is characterized by anything that is hard or solid in our bodies. Um, so even the softness of our skin, skin is considered earth element because it's compact and, uh, earth can be soft too. You know, we know that. So what we want to do is uh, begin reflecting on the hardness and the solid aspects of our bodies. Begin reflecting with the skin, you know, the skin as a manifestation of, uh, earth element, uh, head hair. And body hair is actually earth element. The nails on our feet and on our hands and our teeth are earth element, their hardness. And when we are calm and mindful enough, we can locate each of these body parts, feel them gently, and just noticing their hardness, maybe their color and their texture, just seeing if you can discern without thinking about it, just with observation, their hardness or softness or texture. And then with the reflection, and this is important, they are all impermanent. 
And what we're doing is we're just dropping that into our intuitive awareness and watering the seeds of having the insight of that. So we can watch earth element and, you know, just notice it all. And a few times while we're doing that and you are impermanent and actually even reflect on how it's changed. You know, there's various ages in here, how our teeth have changed, our head hair, our skin, our body hair. Oh my gosh. You know, we don't have to bring in a lot of conceptual or intellectual thinking to see the changes of that, how those are absolutely impermanent. And I know some of us here, much bow to you, have lost people during the pandemic, you know, beloved relatives and friends. And I'm sure that they are sitting with the knowledge of impermanence of this body very, very directly. And I have to tell you, so uh, the three of us were sitting up in the teacher's village and talking about this, about impermanence and how uh, precarious it is to love anything. You know, my partner who I, you know, actually I found out today is our anniversary. I think we've been together 12 years and he's 71, which is pretty young, but he's having a lot of cognitive issues. And, you know, I can see our relationship changing very dramatically. And I said, you know, it's so precarious to fall in love with somebody because they change all the time. And Sister Syra here said, Bonnie, that's exactly why you need to love them right now. <laughs> because they are going to change. <laughs> I just thought that was very deep. <laughs> Isn't that pretty deep? That's why we need to love what we love right now because it is going to change. I was thinking about my puppy. I got a rescue puppy and I'm afraid of how much I'm attached to him or her already. But anyway, that's another story. But we can reflect, you know, they are all impermanent. And actually it probably is even wise. The things that we are attached to and that we love, we can say, I love you so much right now and you are impermanent. You know, that would just probably, um, you know, foster a deeper insight about that. So as we sit in meditation, we can feel the hardness or softness of our cushion or seat. Hardness and softness is earth element. Notice how our hands touch one another, our legs pressing onto one another, and any other pressure points in the body. And reflect on each of these as earth, earth. This is earth. We take solid food, and this becomes our inner earth element. Consider the earth element within ourselves and the earth element all around. They are both the same earth element. They are all impermanent. And then there's water element. So water element reflects um, on any liquid aspects of our body. We can feel the wetness of the saliva in our mouths and reflect water, water. We notice our sweat and our urine and our tears and our blood and any other body fluids as and when they come to our attention because they can come to our attention and we can look out for them in our attention. Uh, even on the bodies of other people, you know, we can see water element on other bodies as well. 
I'm sure those of us with children, we know the water element and other smaller bodies, right? <laughs> yes. And so we know them and other bodies as well. And we can simply note their fluidity as water, water. That's water element. That's water element. We drink water and we drink liquids and, you know, just notice their fluidity. We can consider the water element within ourselves and the water element all around us. And we can reflect water element internally, water element externally, all the same. And guess what else? They are all impermanent. So that's, you know, an added reflection. And then fire element. The fire element in our bodies includes the warmth that we feel, our skin temperature, um, you know, any temperatures we have because of illness are definitely fire element. It also refers to our digestive process. I really, you know, experience that quite strongly as fire element. And actually, one of the uh, body meditations that the Buddha taught was to be aware of the organs in the body. I mean, he knew, you know, body, um, you know, mechanics sooner than Western medicine did. They must have been dissecting bodies back then, I think, because, um, you know, he had people do reflections on the organs in the body. I know there's some medical personnel in here. That might be an interesting way to do... um, you know, to do um, mindfulness of the body is to just go through the organ structure. So the fire element refers to our, to our digestive process. And we can feel the heaviness of a meal or the sounds of fluids and gases in us. And, you know, that becomes water element and air element, right? <laughs> it actually changes in there, in our bellies. And we can reflect on these as fire element. I like to do that. I like to reflect on digestion as fire element. The fire element is the very process of decay that our bodies go through as well. From day to day, from the day that we're born, you know, in addition to that being earth element, it's fire element, Uh, aging and, you know, decrepitation of the body. That's fire element. And when we're looking at old photos or movies, we can see um, geographically how we have changed on account of the fire element. That might be one reflection to have when we are reminiscing about other, other times of our life. Even looking in the mirror, we might begin to see how we gradually but surely age. This is the fire element. That seems pretty obvious to me. It's always available. We can consider the fire element within ourselves, our body heat and decaying process, and the fire element all around us. They are both the same fire element. Fire element internally, fire element externally, all the same. And what else are they? They are also all impermanent. So that reflection, fire element and permanent. And then wind element. The wind element 
Actually, this was interesting. I actually got a little bit more from the suttas about wind element that I hadn't seen before. And that was any kind of bodily movement is actually considered wind element. So when we're walking or running or swinging or just moving around or even moving a limb is considered wind element or wiggling a finger or sticking our finger in our ear or turning our heads or shifting our posture on the cushion or the chair is considered wind element. So I think that's an excellent additional way for us to understand it. Uh, The wind element includes the gases in our bodies, and we're all aware of those, I'm pretty sure, Uh, and our breath. And we can feel the breath uh, with the rising and falling of the belly, and uh, or the rising and falling a movement in the chest this is where movement is really part of wind element um, um and we can feel the breath with the rising and falling of our chest or the gentle touch of air at our nose tip or upper lip and that's considered a very excellent um target or um an excellent anchor for um, mindfulness for samadhi to deepen and strengthen our practice uh, to increase the concentration. So we can consider the wind element within ourselves and the wind element all around us, and they are both the same wind element. And guess what? They are all impermanent. In fact, there is a wind advisory for Spirit Rock right now isn't there for tomorrow. Did you see that, Wind Advisor? Yeah, the, I saw it. Yeah. So this will be an excellent time to feel the external wind and the internal wind. <laughs> yeah, maybe you could release some air and join the our external uh, wind relatives. Now the next one that the uh, so that is uh, mindfulness of form and just the impermanence of form and um, you know just seeing form much more directly than having all of these concepts of a body and this and that you know having all these concepts that are useful absolutely but they're not necessarily ultimate reality at all. In fact, some practitioners of the Abhidhamma think the four elements are a ultimate reality and all of these concepts we have for it are relative reality. That's just one way that the um, scholars think about it. So the wind element is also all impermanent. So now Vedana, and this is one of my favorite meditations because it's also very central to something called dependent origination, which is the way that we become free you know, the way that we do um, find awakening in the various four stages of awakening. It's dependent origination. And, you know, the one thing that we have to be aware of to go from dependent origination about how we just struggle in these lives to something called transcendent dependent origination, which means uh, marching on to awakening, the first thing that we have to know very deeply is what? It is dukkha. (laughs) We have to know dukkha very directly and non-conceptually to which will uh, be the impetus for us 
to go uh, to lead us to awakening. So those of us who are suffering right now, you should be patting yourself on the back, (laughs) saying, thank you for showing me my suffering, because it's leading to freedom. Those of us, you know, what happens when we can't awaken to that? We become opioid addicts, and we drink, and we you know, engage in sexual activity just as a distraction. You know, we do a lot of unwholesome things because we don't want to see, um, you know, just the impermanence of all of that. But anyway, okay, Vedana, feeling tone, is a huge aspect of our freedom. If we can see the impermanence of pleasant, of unpleasant, and of neutral. And if we can see that very clearly with wisdom, not conceptually, if we can have an insight about the impermanence of Vedana, it really goes a long way in freeing us from chasing the stuff that's not going to be the uh, source of any real happiness for us. And the Buddha talks very specifically about how to collect data, how to be mindful of Vedana. So, and he talks specifically about two types of Vedana, and I love this, about bodily feelings and about mental feelings. So I want to just go over that. So bodily feelings, you know, one thing that we can notice when we are in our earth elements and our different, our four elements is how comfortably seated we are or how comfortable we are standing or how comfortable we are lying down, how, we, how relaxed we are. That's an indication of pleasant feelings. And we totally, you know, probably have that experience, but don't even realize we're having it, right? We don't even notice that, oh, this is a pleasant feeling. This is what a pleasant feeling is like. And it's so important not to think conceptually about it, to just collect the data. You know, feeling comfortable in this chair, this is what a pleasant sensations of the body feels like. Just collect the data. You don't need to think about it. You're just fueling insight. You're fueling wisdom by doing that. So notice when you're sitting, standing, or lying down, or walking, this is pleasant. But of course, after a while, we feel tired of sitting, or tired of standing, or tired of lying down, and guess what arises? Unpleasant feelings. (laughs) You know, the same situation, depending on time and other things, will produce a different feeling tone. So it's important to feel unpleasant feelings of that as well. You know, what does unpleasant feelings feel like? Just collect the data on that. You know, if you can, go as close to the source of it as you can. Because, you know, pain is just a concept. What is pain? It's throbbing and, uh, you know, feeling cramped and um, itching or pressure, you know, things like that, to investigate it a little bit more closely. And again, not with a lot of words, just collect the data. And we can say, oh, now this is unpleasant sensations. This is unpleasant Vedana, unpleasant feeling tone. And uh, this was an interesting um, advice that Pia Tan had. I thought this was pretty brilliant. What about our faces? There seems to be neither pleasure nor pain in our faces. Let's feel our faces. We can reflect in the same way that 
we, uh, this is a neutral feeling. We have neutral feeling tone in our faces. And neutral feeling tone is really, really important because if you don't realize, what usually happens when neutral feeling tones comes up is boredom will arise. And it's so wonderful to see boredom uh, arise in what has uh, been the proximal cause for boredom to arise. Because as soon as boredom arises, we start creating our own movies and our own fantasies to have pleasure. Um, when I was younger, I still do this in some ways, probably not exactly as this, you know, I would look around, who am I in love with in the room? <laughs> you know, <laughs> romantic fantasy. I had, that was one of my most predominant, um, uh, you know, Sankaras or mental habit patterns that I named it RF, you know, it's like, oh, I see you RF, you're on your way again. No, thank you. You know, and you can do that with what the predominant mental habit patterns of your mind are. We can be that open to it and accept it. Um, and, you know, what will happen is you might see it. And what I do is I'll see it and then I'll wince, right? Like, ooh, Bonnie. But then I see the wince and I say, no, I mean, you and 50 million other people, you know, <laughs> this is a common humanity thing. This is not personal, you were born a human and this is what happens. You know, we can realize that we are an excellent company when we see all of these crazy thought patterns or sankaras uh, because they're not personal. Um, and then mental feelings. So that's bodily sensations. And mental feelings are, um, after a while... You know, we enjoy listening. You know, you might be enjoying listening to this Dharma talk right now, and there might be pleasant feelings. Um, I've only got four minutes left. But <laughs> um, after a while, if I went on for a long time, and some teachers do, you, we, you know, we might start getting an unpleasant feeling, like, oh, this is a little bit boring right now, or I don't necessarily um, like what this person is talking about. And the same happens when we are reading or watching TV or listening to someone. Um, you know, we can uh, have a very conscious awareness of unpleasant feeling. And according to the um, dependent origination, that's the unconscious, uh, unpleasant and pleasant is what runs our lives. We're always running after pleasant and running away from unpleasant, whether that's a wholesome thing to do or not. And it really makes sense for us to be aware of pleasant and unpleasant. And I love it. I mean, I'm the kind of person who will indulge myself with a cup of tea with half a bottle of uh, honey in it, you know, during the retreat. Like, yeah, I need some pleasant. And I'll drink half of the cup. And I really love to notice how long that satisfies my craving for sweet, right? Because it doesn't last that long. And that's pretty much true of all conditioned things that we look to for our happiness, having this job, you know. I'm sure we could all go on for days about that. Having this relationship. I love my partner to death, but he's a totally different person than he was 10 years ago, right? And that's a mental feeling. And... Um, you know, that's also impermanent. All of these 
um, mental feelings of pleasant and unpleasant will never last. And it's always good to see where our greed is. I notice for me right now, my greed is in houses. You know, I'm about to retire from the university and I'm thinking about where I'm going to move. And it's like, you know, where could I get 15 of my Dharma friends to have a commune or something in, right? And I'm always looking greedily at houses, but a lot of the time the thought will arise, Bonnie, that's not going to make you happy. And I'll have that insight that, you know, that's still a habit pattern that you have, but you know it's not going to produce your ultimate happiness, you know? So it's nice to have that reflection arise right after it. So those are two ways that the Buddha taught that we can have, we can fuel our wisdom or intuitive awareness to have an insight about impermanence. Again, uh, you know, we don't, you know, we can, we can think about it and think about it conceptually, but what frees us is having a wisdom insight about that and how everything in our conditioned world is absolutely uh, impermanent. Our physical bodies, the four elements, uh, feeling tone, they're all impermanent. And we just want to see that with as much direct mindfulness as we can. And with samadhi, when we sit with samadhi or with concentration, it's not personal, right? I mean, we realize that we're in excellent company. And I, I don't think I've said it at this retreat. My beloved partner, uh, a few years after we got together, you know, and he's fine now, physically anyway, he, had, uh, he got diagnosed with prostate and colon cancer within the same week. And it was so funny. The first thought that came to me was, wow, now you belong to the cancer club. Because, you know, cancer is like the second leading cause of death for, I think, everyone in the U.S. and internationally. And I felt like I knew what that meant now. And I think that can be a reflection of anything that we go through, you know. I'm a part of the Divorced Mothers Club, you know. That's a brilliant place to be. Or the, you know, relationship breakup or whatever. Whatever suffering you're having, it is not personal, it is what it means to be human. Everything we experience is impermanent and we can use our four elements meditation to prime our wisdom to have that big insight. So that's all I wanted to say about impermanence. There's a huge amount written on it. If you just Google Buddhist impermanence and then, I think I said this, you always put space PDF after anything you Google and then you'll go to something you can download. <laughs> There's a huge amount out there. I've gone through all of it to prepare for this talk. So, yeah. And um, so now we're going to have a 15-minute break and uh, a stretching break. Be mindful. Mindfulness is... You know, continuity is a huge part of uh, strengthening mindfulness and having samadhi or concentration. And it doesn't have to be a heavy continuity. Just know what you're doing. You know, step, step, step while you're walking or, yeah, things like that. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.